video games and UK taxes, more than meets the eye. Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing partner of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan, and today we're talking about taxes. I know, before you click off of this video, uh, it doesn't sound that sexy, it doesn't sound that interesting, but I assure you that it is. So without further ado, let's take a look at the big news item that was linked to me on my social media and in other places. It's a Guardian article. We've had a lot of fun with the UK and with Britain in general of late in virtual legality. It's a Guardian article that says, revealed global video games giants avoiding millions in UK tax. Now, what I have seen in my social media, what I've seen on Reddit and in various forums is how bad this is. We're going to look at exactly what's happening here. And I will tell you just at the start, uh, I tend to agree that this is a bad thing, but probably not for the reasons that other people have suggested. I'm a corporate lawyer by trade, so I come at these things essentially looking at them from the perspective of my client and what benefits they should receive and, and how we should receive them, how they should be structured in order to achieve those benefits. And because of that, I look at things not necessarily as bad acting corporations here, uh, but as uh, misguided, if we're being generous, legislation. And we're going to take a look at the actual statutes here, uh, the actual policies that were adopted by the United Kingdom on this score, how it resulted in the kind of tax avoidance that you see here, and why at the end of the day, if you're running one of these large corporations, you're essentially silly for not at least examining whether or not you can be eligible for these kinds of subsidies because they are millions and millions of dollars or, or pounds here in the parlance of the United Kingdom. Uh, and if you avoid even looking at that possibility, essentially you're doing your own company and your own profitability and your own shareholders a disservice. Uh, so let's take a look at the actual article here. It says a UK tax policy intended to boost the domestic video games industry has been used by some of the world's largest entertainment companies to avoid paying tens of millions of pounds in corporation tax, a Guardian investigation has found. Now, when we look at this article, it's important to keep that thesis in mind. This tax benefit that was passed by the United Kingdom was intended to keep jobs in the United Kingdom, above all else. And we're going to look at exactly how this all started in 2008, which the Guardian helpfully kind of linked to so that we can examine the kind of thesis behind it. But it was designed to keep jobs in the United Kingdom. And this actually doesn't go to talk about that, right? This article mostly focuses on the fact that these companies are making a huge amount of money uh, and they are getting a tax break even though they're making a huge amount of money. And they don't really tie it to the fact that these companies do in general have a British presence and to the extent that they have jobs in the UK, the act seems to be doing what the original drafters intended in some respects. Obviously, I don't think anybody necessarily looked far enough ahead or looked at what they were writing when they put this act together to see that this was going to happen. But when we look at the language, we're going to see that it was always obvious that this was how this was going to happen uh, after passage uh, five years ago. So in describing the people and the companies that are using this money, they say Warner Media that makes Batman Arkham and Lego has claimed 60 million pounds. Sony, who makes the PlayStation uh, and, and has made the Total War games and Football Manager uh, has, uh, uh, oh, Sony has claimed 30 million pounds. Sega has claimed 20 million pounds. Put it all in the same paragraph. And then they talk about the Video Game Tax Relief Act which enables game developers to claim back up to 20% of certain production costs. Now, af after we look at the act, it's essentially almost all of their production costs. It's the core costs of making a video game. 
which if we just think about it for a second, if you've got that kind of concept, if you've got a mathematical equation that gets you a higher deduction for spending more money on making your video game, in the absence of a cap, which is how we deal with these things in contract law and how a lot of statutes deal with this concept, in the absence of a cap on the benefit or a paring down, a proration of it after a certain point, then you are going to inevitably get bigger and bigger games, bigger and bigger companies that are going to go and get more and more of the pie that you are spending on this tax credit or tax relief, right? It just goes without saying. If you spend $50,000 making your game, there's a maximum amount that you can even get back from the United Kingdom. If you spend $50 million making your game, that maximum amount is much higher. And if you don't cap it, you're going to see that the bigger companies and the bigger video game development are going to get more of the money. That was always kind of understood in if you read this statute, although I don't think it was necessarily understood by the folks just following this from afar, or maybe even some of the legislators that were looking at this act when it was passed. The Guardian continues, VGTR, the Video Game Tax Relief Program, has remained popular, however, not only with the titans of the sector, the big companies, but also with small firms who consider it a lifeline to help produce games on a budget. However, concerns were raised early that the tax breaks which the UK government promoted as helping small and medium-sized businesses, and we saw in the previous paragraph that they said it is popular amongst those businesses, might be exploited. The next year, after the European Commission looked at all of these various tax breaks, they launched an investigation into whether the policy was unfair. It eventually approved the scheme, the VGTR, but only after stating that it had been convinced VGTR would focus on a small number of distinctive culturally British games, which have increasing difficulties to find private financing. In fact, we can pull up that actual uh, approval from the European Commission. Uh, this says Brussels, 27 March 2014, five years ago. It says in April 2013, the commission opened an in-depth investigation because it had doubts that the aid was necessary. There seemed to be no obvious market failure in this dynamic and growing sector, and games were pe being produced even without state aid. The commission also considered that limiting the expenditure qualifying for the tax relief to goods or services used or consumed in the UK would be discriminatory. So apparently when this was originally all getting kind of figured out in the United Kingdom, one of the things they wanted to try to do was say it would only apply to uh, essentially games sold uh, in the United Kingdom. And that was deemed discriminatory by the EU. The UK and other interested parties were given the opportunity to comment. Following an in-depth analysis of these comments and some amendments proposed by the UK, Commission Vice President in charge of competition policy concluded our initial doubts have been dispelled. The proposed aid for video games is indeed focusing on a small number of distinctive culturally British games which have increasing difficulties to find private financing. The video games tax relief will provide an incentive to video game developers to produce games meeting certain cultural criteria. After the commission opened an in-depth investigation, the UK removed the originally envisaged territorial spending obligations imposed on beneficiaries of the scheme. The UK demonstrated in particular that the proposed cultural test ensures that the aid supports only games that are of cultural value. Only around 25% of UK produced games would be eligible for aid. Now, they don't give any backing to that last sentence, that only 25% of UK produced games would be eligible for aid. And honestly, as I look at the cultural test, and we're going to look at it in this video, I don't see how that could possibly be the case. And the main problem is, as I said, we're going to get to it, but they count use of the English language as essentially serving the British culture. And then that kind of uh, spirals out into the rest of their test, of which you only have to have essentially half the points that they're looking for in order to be treated as a British game. 
And so at the end of the day, it would seem to me that most games, especially fictional games, completely fictional games outside of Earth, are going to qualify for this aid. And we're going to see why in just a moment. But as of 2014, the European Commission was satisfied that this was small enough that it was going to serve some useful purpose because otherwise they looked at video games and they said, uh, video games? Video games are pretty darn popular. It's They're pop- more popular than movies in terms of total expenditure. Why exactly do you need any kind of subsidy? And I've pulled up right now a Guardian article from years and years ago, 2008, which apparently, according to this history that was presented in the Guardian uh, article from a couple days ago, apparently was really the start of looking for this subsidy and trying to get it approved, which ultimately did get p- passed in 2014. And they say games industry... Arrested Development. The UK video games industry is facing a squeeze as it battles to combat subsidized competition from abroad. So keep that kind of perspective in mind when we talk about what this tax relief is supposed to do. And in all honesty, you see this across all tax relief programs, both in the United States and globally, which is essentially this kind of jurisdictional warfare between various jurisdictions, nations, states that are trying to attract business to their localities in order to, yes, form a tax base, but also because in certain respects, some of these businesses, film production, video game production for certain jurisdictions, television, are sexy. They feel like they can promote their state with those products, that people feel good about giving tax subsidies and breaks to those products if they are as popular as they are, that they are these kinds of rock star industries and professions, and that maybe it's okay to give those tax breaks. You see the same kind of thing in the United States, especially with sports teams. You see these huge tax breaks. You see these huge bond measures and debt given by various cities and states to help finance stadiums that are owned by people and teams that make huge amounts of money essentially off of fairly specious claims that they are going to help promote jobs, help promote economic welfare in the areas in which they're located. And tax breaks like this aren't really that different. The unfortunate part of it is these fights tend to be fairly limiting in terms of what you actually are creating vis-a-vis jobs. You're mostly fighting over existing jobs, existing companies that can work in either United Kingdom or they move to Canada, which is what we see here. We see... uh, but hang on, according to this article from The Guardian, according to Games Up, which is this, this industry group in 2008 that is seeking the tax breaks that we would ultimately come to see in 2014, games made in the UK between 2006 and 2008 alone are on track to generate global revenues of £4 billion. And the global games market is worth £18 billion and growing at 9% per year. The credit crunch isn't even an undue worry. Consumers are known to turn to games in difficult times as they offer protracted entertainment for a smallish outlay. So why are UK developers looking to the government for help? So again, the context here is 2008. Obviously, financial crisis, especially in the United States, but kind of uh, spiraling out across the world. And so that's the context for what this conversation is taking place in, even in the United Kingdom. And you see here the quote here from uh, one of the uh, creative directors and heads of acquisitions at IDOS. We've recently slipped, we the UK, from third to fourth in world development behind Canada. We're now the most expensive country in the world in which to develop. Other countries, not just Canada, but two states in the US, Scandinavian countries, France, Singapore, Korea, and others offer salary subsidies. Canada saw games as a clear opportunity to invest in the future as traditional manufacturing was disappearing and made a conscious decision to invest in games. They don't see it as a handout, but as an investment. 
They've actually given out in salary subsidies 37.5% to every employee in games companies and up to a 40% research and development tax credit. So again, this, this concept, this quote from 2008, isn't concerned with who's getting the money. It's concerned with trying to keep the jobs in the United Kingdom and actually saying huge amounts of money are being spent by these other jurisdictions. And so that's the kind of background in which you get the act that we are reviewing right now and, and why it isn't a surprise that these big companies are going and getting these huge amounts of money in terms of tax deductions, tax rebates from the United Kingdom. Let's go back to the original article. Five years since the policy passed, a Guardian review of its impact suggests that the opposite may be true. Again, going back to the fact that the European Commission ultimately decided that the VGTR would focus on a small number of distinctive culturally British games. Close to half of all the relief went to four large foreign-based companies. Scores of games that have few, if any, apparent British cultural references have been awarded large rebates. We're going to look at the law and see why that is. Official figures show VGTR was also overwhelmingly more lucrative for larger-scale video game projects. Claims for more than £500,000 have taken at least 80% of the total tax relief, despite accounting for only a small fraction of the claims. We just talked about why that is. If you don't have a cap, bigger numbers are going to command a bigger piece of the pie, always. While claims for big-budget games will be larger due to higher costs— that's where they acknowledge that fact. Smaller, low-budget developers have received much less of the pot. Applications for less than 50,000 pounds, while accounting for more than half of the successful claims, were granted just roughly 10 million pounds of the total 324 million pounds in tax reductions. Obviously, this isn't confusing, right, folks? If you ask for 50,000 pounds, you've got to have a lot more successes to get up to your portion of 300 million pounds. And if you ask for 500,000 pounds, you're going to get there a lot faster. If you don't cap this in the law... This is what you start to get. Separately, the total cost of the taxpayer has ballooned to more than 100 million pounds a year, almost three times higher than original government estimates. Uh, the revelations into VGTR come two months after the investigation think tanks uh, looked into it and found that Rockstar had paid no UK corporation tax. Take-Two had paid no corporation tax between 2009 and 2018. Its New York headquartered parent company, Take-Two Interactive, claimed 42 million in VGTR through its UK developer, Rockstar North. Now, it's important to look at that in full totality, right? They say, hey, Grand Theft Auto V made this huge amount of money. They haven't paid tax on it. It's headquartered in New York, and it was claimed through UK developer Rockstar North. But the question is, you know, is, is that the purpose of your tax act or not? And I'm not really sitting here saying that you should have this tax act. You should not. I find them all to be rather silly in most jurisdictions. They can be written in a certain way where you can have positive effects, but most are written essentially as bribes and between jurisdictions to try to get places to stay, to try to get them to move to your various locations. Here in Michigan, we had a film tax credit that lasted for a short time that was essentially passed for what we talked about earlier in this video, that people wanted to have a subsidy that was sexy. So we had some movies made here. We had something with, I think, Michael Sarah in it who crashed a car outside my office building while they were filming and otherwise making traffic problems in downtown Ann Arbor. And ultimately it went away because Michigan wasn't seeing any really economic benefits from that uh, other than folks from Los Angeles and Hollywood and elsewhere swooping in, doing their thing with the movies, swooping out and getting a big tax benefit. So I think these things can work on a long enough scale if you really dedicate yourselves to them and building up whatever economic infrastructure makes sense for that industry. If you're only going to do it fly by night between administrations, it definitely doesn't make sense. And in the gray area in the middle, you get something like this, where, hey, Rockstar North exists. Rockstar North is employing people in the United Kingdom. 
Yes, it is being used as a filter to get 42 million pounds of, of tax benefit to a company that has the most lucrative video game of all time in Grand Theft Auto V, but that's what the law said. That's what the law that you wrote put down on the page. And from my perspective as a corporate lawyer, as somebody that looks at these things that has talked about fiduciary duty and virtual legality, if I'm a corporate CEO and put yourselves in the shoes of a corporate CEO or, or chief financial officer and you say, hey, you know, we just can turn this form in to the United Kingdom and potentially get $40 million or 40 million pounds in tax breaks. Should we fill that form out or not? I think the answer is always and every time yes. And if you aren't doing that, the board should have a conversation with you because you essentially wasted 40 million pounds that the United Kingdom was ready to give you. Uh, and so I don't blame the corporations for doing this. I can You can blame them to some extent for lobbying and getting the language that they got uh, back in 2008 through 2014, absolutely. But ultimately, the legislature, the parliament has to be responsible for the language that they put in. The European Commission has to be responsible for not analyzing the statute properly that to see that it would ultimately result in this. Uh, and frankly, we're going to look at the law right now, but I wanted to pull up the last paragraph here because this is the really important part. Because as you heard from the European Commission, you know they were concerned that, hey, video games don't need a subsidy. Why are you giving a subsidy to video games? We want to make sure that it makes sense. Uh, and we were convinced because you have this cultural test, this British cultural test. We're going to look at the law. We're going to see what that is. But this paragraph pretty much underscores what the main problem is. It says, vitally, VGTR has also been widely promoted as being of cultural value in the UK, with games under development required to pass a cultural test. To qualify, games can score points on whether they include British or European cultural references, but the test is lenient and games in fictional universes with no obvious British or European cultural content, such as Batman Arkham, can still gather enough points to legitimately pass. Having staff or offices in the UK or European economic area also earns points, as does simply using the English language, which is exactly what we're going to see. So let's just take a look at the act overall. Uh, we've got here the Corporation Tax Act of 2009. We're just going to try to show where it is in case anybody else wants to look at this. If you really love virtual legality and you really want to read statutes, uh, they can be a little bit difficult to find uh, in UK law. So if we look at the Corporation Tax Act of 2009, you actually have to scroll down to Part 15B to find the video game subsidies. So let's see how much scrolling that takes. We're going to get there anytime now. I saw Part 9A fly by. Part 14, we're almost there. Part 15A, television production, and Part 15B, video games development. You can see here, it's got a fairly robust set of rules. Uh, it's uh, it's got uh, it goes down to 1217EC, uh, which is a fair number of statutes under their act. But we can take a look at them right here through the magic of YouTube video editing, and we can see here that video games development is divided into a couple parts that you might otherwise. Uh, see as, as normal. They've got an overview of their statute. They've got some definitions, what a video game is. Notably here, and I don't know that anybody else has talked about this, a video game in the UK can't be anything produced for the purposes of gambling. So we've talked a lot about that question with respect to loot boxes, uh, but it's worth noting that if the United Kingdom were to change its stance on whether loot boxes and prize packs and things of that nature can fall under betting, can fall under the existing Gambling Act of 2005, then you have a kind of domino effect because if those things can fall under gambling, then does the video game that includes them as only a portion of that activity, does that now limit itself 
from availability from this tax act because this tax act doesn't allow a video game to include anything produced for the purposes of gambling. So you've got this kind of multifaceted discussion happening. We talked a little bit last week about the fact that when France announced that digital games and digital items had to be able to be resold, if that claim survives, you've got a whole issue with whether loot boxes are gambling, because if you then have a permitted legal secondary market, it's very difficult for these companies to say that you're not getting anything of value out of those loot boxes. Once you lose that, if you fall under gambling in the UK, now you lose your tax benefits. There's a whole lot of things to consider in the overall scheme of this. And it's not unusual for laws to interact in this way, but it's certainly worth noting if you're in parliament or if you're otherwise kind of talking about these things. So if you follow this, if you follow virtual legality, it's going to be part and parcel to what we wind up discussing in this and other kind of questions regarding video game development, certainly in the UK, also in the United States and in other places in the European Union. So that's video games. Video game development activities is basically the things that go into making video games. The core expenditures are designing, producing, and testing the game. UK expenditures are things that are spent on the core expenditure side of things in the United Kingdom. And then we get into taxation activities, what this can apply to, uh, income, all this other stuff. I don't want to waste your time. It's all very kind of delicate tax kind of questions. It's worth it to know that basically you get to deduct your UK expenditures to a certain point, and that deduction can lead to benefits either in credits or rebates to you to a certain point. Uh, And so the more you spend on the video game, the more that you can make. But there are three tests that are required to get access to this video game tax relief in Britain. Here they are. You've got section 1217CA, CB, and CE, intended for supply, British video game, and UK expenditure. Intended for supply is pretty easy. The video game must be intended for supply to the general public. You can't be making, you know, a government piece of software uh, for, for use in their air traffic control programs, whatever it might be. British video game, we're going to come back to, but basically it's anything that the Secretary of State with the approval of Treasury may by regulation specify as a British video game. So we're going to take a look at what they have specified, what that current rule set is, the current cultural test in the UK, which frankly might get modified as a result of exposés like from The Guardian, might have been modified at the time that the European Commission was looking at this rule, might not have been as lenient as it is. We don't get a lot of background on that, and I certainly am not an expert at the 2008 to 2014 process that led to the current state of affairs. But these kinds of exposés from newspapers, when it's clear that this wasn't the, what this was sold as, we can look at this as lawyers, we can look at this as corporate folks and say, yes, this was always going to happen in this configuration. But it wasn't what the politicians sold it as to the people. That's always going to be a problem. And it's worth noting, certainly the article in The Guardian is worth having, even if I think it was always going to happen under this current structure. So that's British video game. We're going to come back to that. And then there is uh, UK expenditure, which is all the way down here at E. At least 25% of the core expenditure on the video game must be UK expenditure. So in terms of your development costs and actually producing the game, at least 25% of it has to be spent in the UK. That's their tie bar. That's how they link it to making sure that this act helps make United Kingdom jobs. doesn't mean they have to be new. You sometimes see economic development programs or tax breaks require you to uh, essentially say you're going to have 100 new jobs in order to get tax break X. That's not this. This just says that when you're making your game, at least 25% of your expenses have to go through the United Kingdom. And if you're familiar with finances, if you're familiar with accounting, and you've got something like, as for example, Rockstar North that is in the United Kingdom, 
you can start to play around with where your expenses are allocated. You can start to play around with where the numbers show those expenses were made to make sure that you trip this 25% threshold, not through lying, not through obfuscation, but just making sure that you are structured properly to get the maximum benefits that have been put out there for you from the legislature. So if you're Ubisoft and you are in the EU, you can make sure that enough goes through the UK to get you some money or enough goes through Canada where you have an office to get you some money. Frankly, when you look at the corporate structure of video games right now, a lot of the multinationals that have these different offices in various places are designed around meeting these certain qualifications that have these tax breaks, that have these benefits. They're not always tax credits and tax rebates. They can be other things. They can be economic development benefits. They can be uh, reductions in uh, property taxes at a leased location in downtown wherever. But you have these decisions being made at a corporate level because all of these jurisdictions are putting these various incentives in play. And to some extent, that's what the money people at these companies are, are really employed to do is make sure that if you're going to deploy $100 million to making a video game, that it is deployed as efficiently as possible and in the structure that is efficient as possible based on the rules of the game that have been put forward for you from these various legislative bodies. And so if you have to hit this 25% threshold in the UK, you make darn well sure that you hit that 25% threshold if it's worth something to you. But that wasn't what convinced the European Commission that this was all going to be okay. Yes, 25%, great. That's not actually a very high number. You see a lot of these things have 50% plus one uh, on, on their requirements to make sure that it is a Michigan game or it is an Illinois or a French game or what have you. Instead, they really hung their hat on this cultural test to make sure that whatever that got these benefits was a quote-unquote British video game. And I thought when I would look at these things, I would find a set of uh, British video game rules that would make them really qualified to be British, what you might expect, you know, something along the lines of a game that is in Britain uh, that maybe relates to British government questions or British culture. You know, the games like uh, the, the game where you wind up walking around a pastoral English community trying to figure out whether the rapture happened or not. I think it's called Everything's Gone to Rapture, perhaps. Uh, it was slow. I didn't like it very much, but it was clearly set in Britain uh, all with the phone boxes and everything else. And uh, you, you think of those games as, okay, that's uniquely British. You think of Ubisoft releasing their next game in London, and you say, okay, that one probably is what we're talking about in terms of a British video game. But like everything else in virtual legality, what we think it says, what we think it should be is not necessarily what the statute says, what the law says. And while it's described in The Guardian as lenient, it's more than lenient, really. It's, it's actually a set of rules that ultimately you look at and you say, well, there's almost no requirement that something have any connection to Britain at all. And so if you are a British, a British legislature, if you are a British government and you're looking at whether or not you should put this tax act into play, I look at these rules and say, well, this isn't going to guarantee any kind of British cultural significance to the games and the game companies that receive this act. So maybe we should kind of go back to the groundwork and figure out something that is more aimed at that if that is our real end. But the other side of the coin of that is, if it really is only going to affect a limited amount of games, then what use is it anyway in terms of actually helping your economic development? So maybe this was already understood to be as lenient as it is, and the Guardian Exposé is not a surprise uh, to the various factors in government. But we look at this test and we see exactly why what happened has happened. So it says, subject to Regulation 6, a video game passes the cultural test if it is awarded at least 16 points in the total 
under Regulations 7 to 10. A video game that is awarded all the points available under Regulations 7D, Language 9, where work carried out, and 10, Personnel, will not pass the cultural test unless it is awarded at least two points in setting, two points in characters, or four points under story. So keeping that in mind, you got to get at least two points in characters or two points in setting in general in order to get this qualification. Here's the rules. Up to 16 points can be awarded based on setting. So you get up to four points if your game is set in the United Kingdom or another European state. So every country in Europe qualifies for this. Up to four points, depending on the number of characters depicted in the video game that are from the United Kingdom or another EEA state, Europe. Uh, And that kind of is prorated. So if you have fewer characters, you have fewer requirements. If you have only one character, if that character is from the United Kingdom or an EEA, you get four points. If you have more than three, it has to be at least two. Those kinds of things. Four points if the video game depicts a British story or a story which relates to another EEA state. And up to four points, here's the kicker, depending on the percentage of the original dialogue that is recorded in the English language or recognized regional or minority language as follows. Four points for at least 75% on down for at least 25%. Now, it's unclear to me exactly how it deals with kind of translations of video games on uh, on this score or how they interpret that when they're looking at these things. But I presume that those aren't actually counted against the percentages here. So almost every major AAA title is going to be made in English. Uh, And that's because the biggest market for these things is the United States and the United States in general. uh, It plays its games in English. So this is almost always going to be met by any large video game production. And that might not be a problem because you're only getting four points and you need to get up to 16. But where it becomes a problem is we're going to scroll down all the way to number 11 here just to kind of before we come back to the rest of the rules. A video game which is set in or in which any character is from an undetermined location is eligible to be awarded points under those applicable paragraphs if that, as if that location were in the United Kingdom or Europe, provided it complies with the following condition. The condition is that the video game is awarded at least one point under story, language, or culture. So if you can meet the you recorded your game in English requirement, you are also going to get credit for if your characters or setting is in an undetermined location. So if you go back to that Guardian article and they're saying, hey, Batman is considered of British cultural heritage, the reason that is is because Arkham Asylum, Gotham, is an undetermined location. You can't actually say what country it's in or or where it is in the world. So since it's recorded in English, you wind up having all of these trickle-down effects. So you wind up being able to say, hey, your setting is in the United Kingdom or the EEA. So you get four points there. Hey, all of our characters are from the United Kingdom or the EEA. So we get four points there. So we're at four, eight, uh, you know, uh, 12, and we only need four more to get to 16. And then we have all these other categories in which to do it. So we get two points if at least 50% of the work carried out in the United Kingdom is conceptual development, storyboarding, programming, or design. We get one point if at least 50% is audio production, voice recording, performing. Uh, we get one point if a project leader is in the UK, one point if any of our scriptwriters, if a composer, if an artist, if a programmer, if a designer. So we can have a very small group of people operating in the United Kingdom. And yes, you get those jobs from that. Whether or not it's worth the money to you is up to the United Kingdom citizens and the people that are reading this Guardian expose. But you can have a very small group of people that consist of maybe a, a, car, a, a composer, uh, an artist, uh, a project leader, whatever it is. 
And they can be in the United Kingdom or they can be elsewhere in the European Union. I believe qualifying person uh, is uh, anywhere in the European Union, you see here, or an EEA state. And as long as they are operating in that capacity, you get all these points from that. You get the points from recording in English. You get the points from any indeterminate location. So you, you have an advantage if your game is not set on Earth or not on an Earth that we recognize. And the bigger your, your expenditures in making the game, the bigger your likely recovery when the game is uh, completed because it's all based on how much you spend on the game. So it is no question that with this set of tests and with the requirements that you see put out in the law itself, that this was always going to happen. That without a cap, without a proration for expense, based on a cultural value test that doesn't actually yield things of British cultural value. In fact, the very definitions themselves can yield things of European value in general. If everything was set in France uh, and made by a French company, hello Ubisoft, then you basically are going to comply with most of this as long as you have those 25% of expenditures in the UK. And so it's no surprise that this has happened. I think it is a surprise to folks that are looking at this for the first time and saying, wow, why are we spending all that money on Rockstar? They clearly don't need it. Why are we spending all that money on Sony and Sega and, and they don't need it? And you look at it and that's how things get changed. I don't have any problem with that discussion. I do have a problem a little bit with saying that the corporations are exploiting the tax code or that the corporations are using loopholes in the taxes. As best I can tell, there's no indication from anyone anywhere that they are using loopholes or unintended deliveries of what this thing actually says. So they go and they fill out the form. They say why they think they are eligible for this tax break. And then the actual folks that are in charge of looking at all these rules look at it and say, yep, you are eligible and here you go. They don't have really authority to say, no, it shouldn't be the case. And to the extent that the secretary has authority to change these rules, they haven't elected to do so at this point in time. So you have all these subsidies going to these high earning companies. And as I said earlier in this video, if you're the chief financial officer of one of these companies, it's practically your duty to go make sure that you at least inquire as to whether or not you might be eligible to receive these tax breaks. So yes, it's a bit of a scandalous uh, headline. It's a bit of a scandalous article on the fact that the United Kingdom is giving away all this money to companies that quote unquote don't need it. But that was the law as it was written. And it was written to ensure that 25% of expenditures occurred in the UK. It was written to ensure that there was some employment in the United Kingdom because the folks that were looking at this saw companies going to Canada, going to France, going to Singapore, going to wherever. And they said, hey, the UK should give us a subsidy as well. It wasn't a terribly convincing argument, in my opinion. It was essentially a jurisdictional fight. But the United Kingdom decided that it wanted a part of it. And now here's the result. 100 million pounds every year. And that's ultimately the question. And it's a question that only the United Kingdom citizenry and their parliament can decide is whether or not this is worth it. I can sit here and say, look, I've seen a lot of these economic development programs, a lot of these tax budgets, a lot of these tax breaks not serve any real tangible, useful purpose to the jurisdictions in which they take place. But I can also say I have seen successful programs. I have seen breaks that work. I have seen businesses and jurisdictions and municipalities and areas benefit from the presence of specific subsidies on a very targeted basis being handed out to various companies. But I think any time that you get into one of these battles across jurisdictions that you get essentially co-opted by some kind of lobbying group that is interested in having these subsidies go forward, that this is very much likely the result. It maybe isn't inevitable. There are success stories, but it very often is the case. So it should come as no surprise to folks that follow these things terribly closely. That's been Virtual Legality for today. If you like this video, please like, please subscribe to the channel. We're talking about these kinds of things all the time. 
Otherwise, if you saw this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it on a podcast, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.